Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today. So um, if you're available Wednesday night, we do something once a year. Now we're back in rhythm since COVID is we do our annual worship night and vision night. And that's this Wednesday night. Um, and we would love to have you guys out here for that. We'll have uh, child care and ministries available for that. And I get to share with you uh, what the Lord's laid on my heart for thriving this year and what God's calling us as a church to be or to do. And um, I'm really excited because I've been praying all of January of what the Lord would share with me. And you have to come with tonight to hear what that's all about, right? So if you're new with us today, I do want to say this. We're in a series called Being Courageous in a Cancel Culture. And we've been looking at the life of Daniel in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 3, uh, verse 19 this morning. Daniel 3, 19. Uh, there's this really interesting insect called a sneaky beetle. And what this beetle does is, is he invades uh, ant colonies. And he does it because he looks just like an ant. He gets in with the ants and acts like an ant, and then goes in and eats all of their egg and larvae, which is very impressive because most apex predators are stronger, they're faster. That's not the sneaky beetle. The sneaky beetle goes in and slowly destroys the colony from the inside out by looking just like them and, and everything else. And I want to show you today how, this, how sneaky beetles are also in our culture and how they want to destroy our Faith. Now, we've been looking at Daniel the past several weeks, from week four of this series, and we've been looking at this guy who has went into a culture that was totally antithetical to his faith and to what he believed. And here's how he got there. Daniel is now in Babylon. Now, how did Daniel get to Babylon? That's a great question. I want to answer that for you. Is that the southern kingdom of Judah and northern kingdom of Israel had split into two kingdoms. But the one thing they had in common was they were both very disobedient to God. They were serving pagan gods. They had left the faith there. They were disobeying not, not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the Torah. And they had left it, and God was really upset with them. Even their priests were leading them into this. Like, they were worshiping other idols. Matter of fact, as I said before, if you can imagine, you go into the Jewish temple to worship, and it's not just the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, all this beautiful stuff up there, but there's pagan gods everywhere inside there. They'd set up pagan gods. And they would worship the rain god and the sun god and the fertility goddess and all these different, different things. They were merging all these religions into one. And the Lord was angry with them, very displeased with them. He wasn't angry at them because they weren't worshiping him. They were angry with, well, he was angry with them because they were settling for so much less. Because false gods always promise what they can't deliver. And that's always been the truth. And so Israel had left the covenant that God had established with them. They had left what the Lord had had. They had left their first love. And so the Lord sends some prophets. And in, in the Old Testament, you're going to see prophets are going to either like tell them you're going into exile. They're going to tell them there's hope during exile. Or the third prophets at the end there are, hey, look, great days are coming. Get ready. And so Jeremiah, the guy I've been kind of highlighting for you, is a very popular prophet. He was sent to tell uh, the, Northern, the southern kingdom of Judah, you are going to be exiled to Babylon. The most wicked nation in the world is coming for you. And here's why they're coming for you. And it's almost like Jeremiah builds a case against Israel with all of his chapters there. He's just going off on them, sharing about the, the priests and saying, it's going to get really bad for you. And Israel didn't, didn't respond well. Southern kingdom of Judah put him in a well at one point, a cistern. There was no water in it. And Jeremiah, you could hear him saying, hey, Babylon's still coming. I know you put me down here. <laughs> and they didn't want to hear it. 
So finally, in 597 BC, King Jehoiakim and the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon. Babylon came in, desecrated the city, took the, the, the men out of the city, the women, the children out of there, and brought them back to Babylon to be slaves. And the ultimate goal was this. Let's take the finest of the southern kingdom of Judah, the finest people they have, the strongest they have, and let's get them to serve us and make our uh, you know, military power, our economy so much better. And that's what they did. So Daniel and his four friends end up, as we've been looking at, in the royal court of King Nebuchadnezzar because they were some of the top Jewish boys there in their society. And he wanted the best of them. And we see that off the bat, one thing Daniel did, and, we, and we've been looking at themes in Daniel, is that Daniel and his friends remained faithful to the Torah. That's the Jewish law. They remained faithful to it. And they would not eat the meat that King Nebuchadnezzar gave to them. They said, no, 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 that's been sacrificed to idols. We will not have fellowship with Babylon's cultural system. We remain faithful. And again, the Lord gave him favor with that. The Lord said, hey, you know what? Matter of fact, now I'm going to give you the ability to interpret dreams and give you wisdom that's way beyond anybody else in this kingdom. And then in chapter 2 we looked at, the king had this really strange dream. Remember that last week? Like, like he had this, this dream where he saw this big statue and he saw these things happening and nobody in the kingdom could, could uh, you know, figure out what was happening. He called everybody there, wouldn't tell them the dream and said, all right, if you don't tell me my dream, you're all dead. That's Daniel and his friends included. And the, the enchanters and astrologers were like, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, can, you know, let's, let's play charades. Can you give us some insight to what's happening here? Is it, is it one word, two syllables? I mean, come on, I mean, anything? He says, no, 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 you've got to tell me what it is. Daniel and his friends pray. They seek the mercies of heaven. And this is why this is important for me to review this with you, is that they, Daniel goes in and interprets the dream for him. And he says, hey, the statue means this. The statue is about you. And Persia's coming. You're going to fall. That's not, a, that, that is not, a, that's not what you want to tell a narcissistic, hot-headed leader, right? Of the most powerful country on earth. And Daniel tells him that. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't know how in the world you knew my dream. This is absolutely beyond my wildest imagination. So here's, here's what we're going to do. You now are in charge of the province here in Babylon. And Daniel says, I'll do that if you can get my three buddies in too. I got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're my boys, so if you're going to promote me, I need a favor. He says, okay, sure, let's, let's, let's promote them and give them uh, places in the royal court too. So now, here's where we're at. They are very prominent individuals. Understand that other Babylonians are really upset because these Hebrew boys have now taken their positions. Could you imagine being a Babylonian and serving for years in the government, and then these boys come in, interpret one dream, and they go right past you? And they're Hebrews, and the Babylonians hated the Hebrews. So here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar builds his own statue. And most scholars believe that that statue was from the dream. But he built a gold statue of himself. And he put an orchestra around it. And what he wanted was this. He, he had, a, had a decree to go out that every time music plays to my statue, everybody who's there will stop and, and gather around. And if you're not there and you hear it, you better get on your knees and worship me as God. Well, that was a problem for Daniel and his friends, right? Because there shall be no other gods before you, it says in the Ten Commandments, part of the Torah. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants that. Well, somehow it gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, some people believe it was politically motivated because people did not like the fact that they were promoted over them. It gets back that these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not bowing down. They're not going to do it. And this hot-headed, narcissistic leader is like, oh, oh, oh really? 
really? I'm going to make an example of, all of, of, of you in front of everybody, and they will fear me, and they will worship me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to light this fiery furnace as hot as I can get it. I'm getting the strongest men to come for you, and they're putting you in there. They're going to watch you burn to death, and then I guarantee that everybody else will. So now do you want to worship me? Now will you bow down? And that's where we jump into the story there of these boys and their faith in a culture that was totally antithetical to them. He said, I, I don't care what you do in your prayer closet. You're going to bow down to me. I don't care what you believe about the Torah. You're going to worship me. And here's what happens here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded that the furnace, uh, uh, you know, seven times than usual, sorry. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's crazy, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Isn't that powerful? Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now, what, what I could do is I could today teach you on so many things from this passage. Now, one of the themes here is the faithfulness of God, and, and maybe we'll look some at that, but there's something else is happening here with the furnace, the flames, and the culture they're in that I think we need to pay attention to today. Uh, one thing to note before we jump into it, though, where is Daniel in all this? This was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, most people believe that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want anything to happen to Daniel and ignored that because he was in such a high position. We're not sure, but Daniel's not in the story. The, the hero of the whole book of Daniel is not even seen here. It's three of his friends, three Hebrew boys here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what I want to do today is show you the pressure of pluralism and what happens when you're in a culture that wants to welcome pluralism in and make you, uh, you know, bow to that. I mean, today, think about it. You're not being asked to bow to a golden statue. At least I hope you're not anyway, right? You're not being threatened with fire and flames and death. But can I tell you, there's a striking parallel that we have to pay attention to in this passage. And it's this here. If you have your notes, write this down and I'll explain it. But syncretism is the new atheism. Syncretism is the new atheism. Write that down in your notes. Now, what do I mean by that? Syncretism is the merging of schools of thought into one and religions into one. And so it's this merging together. And what we're seeing and, and what I see so much in our culture and, and as a pastor and I, I interact with people all the time is that they have the name Christian because maybe they grew their mama and daddy and grandmama and granddaddy went to church. Maybe great granddaddy was a preacher and said, so I'm a Christian because I go to church. 
But when you dig a little deeper in their faith, you say, okay, well, so, so tell me, like, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I think he was a good guy. I think he did good things. Do you believe he's the son of God and the only way to heaven like he, he told people? Well, no, you know, what I do is I kind of bring a little bit of Buddhism in, a little bit of Islam, and a little bit of Mormonism, and like, I kind of mesh them all together, like, I kind of believe all gods are one, and, but, I, but I'm a good Christian. Do you understand, once you start bringing pluralism in to Christianity, and other mixing and matching and all that stuff, what happens is you're now an atheist. Oh, no, 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 I, I, I believe in God. You don't believe in the God of the Bible. Oh, I believe in Jesus. You don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You don't know the Christ of the Bible. Because the Christ of the Bible was either, I've told you this before, two weeks ago, told you this, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. He told people he was God. He didn't say I'm a good person with good teachings and just follow what I tell you to do. He told them that I am God in the flesh, the Son of God. And that all who believe in me will not perish but have everlasting life. He wasn't just that. You cannot say Jesus was a good teacher. Anybody who just says that never read the teachings of Jesus. Because dude, straight up, I mean, somebody, if I told you I believed I was God, and that if you believe me, you go to heaven, you'd think I'd, I was crazy, wouldn't you? Jesus did that. Whenever you merge all these things in, you are no longer a Christian. You, you, you're just a new age person who believes in a higher power. That's fine. That's what you want to believe. But that's, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. So you're, you're basically an atheist because the God of the Bible is God. He is the highest power. We don't believe in higher powers. He is the highest. He is the sovereign king as we see in the book of Daniel. And syncretism is, I'm going to merge it together. But once you do that, that's the new atheism. Because now you're not, you can't follow a Christ that, that, that is not the Christ of the Bible. He's just some dude you're making things up about. You might as well call him Jack. Jack was a good guy. Jack did good things. And Jack, you know, I think Jack's awesome. No, no. Jack said, I'm God. He said, matter of fact, kill, when I get killed and crucified, you're going to know that because I'm going I'm I'm to raise this temple up in three days. <laughs> and they're thinking, this guy's crazy. And that's the very reason that he was crucified. It wasn't because he was good. The very reason Christ was crucified was because his own people, the Jewish religious leaders, knew he's claiming to be Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. This, and to them, that was heretical. And so in our culture, you have to understand what the sneaky beetle, beetle plan is. It is to get us to merge everything into what we believe. Matter of fact, write this down because this is important. The world isn't asking you to denounce Jesus. It asks you to serve other gods alongside of him. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar like, listen, I don't care what y'all do in private. Now, it will become a problem here in the next few weeks as we see. But in this case, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you obey the Torah and do all that, but you just need to bow down to me. Believe in God, the God of the Bible, but then also bow down to me. And so the same thing is happening in our culture. Matter of fact, look at what he says to Daniel in Daniel 3, uh, verse 4. It says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and that the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into, in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. That's what they were facing there. 
I'm not asking you to denounce the Torah and Jehovah is what he was saying to Daniel. I just need you to worship me too. And that's where we're at today in our generation. What culture says is this. Listen, I don't really care if you believe in Jesus and church and Christianity and do all that. You just need to accept all the values that we're putting uh, to you. And what happens is we start bringing in all these worldly values about beliefs about marriage and sex and about, you know, money and about all these things. And we bring it in and start merging that into our faith. And what happens is that's syncretism. And once you start bringing things that are totally anti-biblical into your, your faith system, it's no longer a Christian faith system. It's new age. It's something different. Because there are clear values in the Bible, and Satan knows that. So he wants us to bring all this in, mix it around, say coexist, and then he's now messed up our faith. It's not really a faith anymore. And that's what they were asking Daniel to do. So you have to understand this. Some, yeah, some professors will try to get you to denounce your faith. Most people in our culture, though, just want you to accept everything else. So it's fine if you believe in Jesus, just can't you believe in Buddha, too? No, I can't. He's a false god. Well, I, I, I know you believe this, but, but can you readily accept Islam? I love Muslim people. I have friends at the gym who are Muslim. I respect them. I love them. However, we don't believe the same thing. And, and you have to understand this. It is highly offensive to Christ. And it's highly ignorant when you say, I believe all religions are one. It's highly offensive to those religions as well. Do you know every religion, if you study world religion, none of them say, well, Buddhism is the closest one, but again, none of them say, I want to bring everything into one. They all believe in exclusivity. They do. However, I've said this before, let me just give you this, the one difference between Christianity is it's not works-based. You can't work yourself to heaven by, by being a good person. It's only through the finished work of Jesus, okay? That's the difference. But here's what we have to understand, and here's my fear, because so many of us, as we go back into culture, we go back into the world system around us, if we don't understand this, we won't realize that the, that the dilution of our faith is equivalent to the destruction of our faith. The dilution of our faith is equivalent to the destruction of our faith. What does that mean, Kevin? It means the moment we start diluting Christianity by bringing all these other things into it, it no longer becomes that anymore. That's what the Lord was so upset about with Israel. Israel was cool with it before. They were like, hey, man, we'll just bring pagan gods in. I mean, we, I mean, we can worship Jehovah and worship the rain god, right? God's like, no. There are no other gods before me. Nothing else before me. And so many times, that's what happens to us. We have our faith diluted, and we're bringing all these other things in, not realizing it's not faith anymore. It's, it, it's, it's not serving Jesus. Matter of fact, there was this um, um, situation that happened. This lady, Georgia Hayes, in 2005, uh, won $2.2 billion in a lawsuit. It's a lot of money. For, I don't, not for, for me, it's a lot of money. Maybe for you, it's not, right? Um, that's a lot of money. But what happened was this. It was only a small constellation to what had happened to her in a very terrible situation was that her doctor and pharmacist had been diluting her chemotherapy. And she had a chance to beat cancer, had a good plan for it. Because of it being diluted, she ended up dying from cancer, even though she got $2 billion. Isn't it funny that the very faith that can save us, the world wants to dilute? The same thing's happening in our culture. And I want to encourage you today here with this, and I want you to write this down. This is important. 
Don't let the fear of the fire cause you to hide your faith. Because that's what the end game is. They want you to hide your faith, dilute your faith, back off from it. They want you to just readily accept other things into it and just kind of just merge in and be, be like one of the crowd. One of the themes of Daniel, remember the sovereignty of God and suffering, but standing out was key. The reason we have the book of Daniel is because he stood up and, st- and, st- and, and, and uh, stood out, right? He was set apart for the Lord. And I think so many times for us in a cancel culture, we let fear of the fire cause us to hide our faith. As a matter of fact, it says uh, here in uh, Daniel 3.16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said this to the king. I love this. When he said, I'm going to burn you up, I'm going to throw you in, look at their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't say king to him. They just took his title right away. You know why? Because they, they knew they served the king. That's good. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. We have no need to answer you in this matter. They're not going to give him an answer in it. They said this, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And verse 18 is the greatest faith. But if not, don't miss that because I'm going to go into that later. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They would not let fear of the fire cause them to hide their faith or dilute their faith. They said, our God will deliver us, and if he doesn't, he's still our God. But we will not do this. And I think in the culture we're in, we have this temptation to hide what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the Bible, because we're made to feel weird, and we're called names, and there's this culture out to cancel us. Matter of fact, don't you know something that happened in Richmond recently? Brewers Cafe, black business-owned, local business. Most of their staff were black as well. He had a certain value that is scriptural. He shared that value on social media. You know what happened to him? Please understand what I'm going to say here, because I, I, it, 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 it drives me crazy how this did not make the news for being racism. White people who didn't agree with that value canceled him, protested against him. Guess what happened to him? His business shut down. He lost it, and those people lost their jobs that worked with him. I know I'm on a very touchy subject here, but, but he stood up for his faith. And our culture says, you stand for it and you have values, we're coming after you. We will destroy you. And you know what he did? He did not relent and said, you know what, I'll lose my business for this. And he did. We're in that type of culture, guys. See, see, for me, when I got saved, what happened was I went and played in a punk rock culture. And it wasn't this, this teeny bop stuff you hear on the radio, like this Blink-182 junk, right? This was like straight up old school hardcore punks. I mean, these people scare you to death. Mohawks, tattoos, I mean, leather, I mean, they're just, these were punks among punks. And when I got saved, I went into that realm. And I played mostly non-Christian shows. And do you know what I had to deal with in that? I remember one show I'm there playing, and the, the band that gets up, they hated Christians. The guy, on his guitar strap said eternal life would suck. And he gets up, he says, hey guys, next up, guess who we have headlining tonight? We have the Combat Junkies. 
And, the, and he went in and he just talked complete garbage about us and our faith. And in that day and time, let me tell you something, punk rock rockers hated religion. There's a band called Bad Religion. Tattoos with Jesus and a, and, you know, and a cross through it. And he made fun of us from the stage. His goal was for us to not say anything about Christ and that we wouldn't sell any merch and everybody would leave. He told them, do not support this band because they are bigots and they believe their way is the only way. And that's what I had to go up against. And our band got up there. And it's amazing the favor that God gave us with that. Because the first time in my life, I'd, I'd given my life to Christ. I lost everything that I had, lost every friend I had. And now I'm coming in these environments that were totally hateful toward Christianity. And Christians would ask me all the time, why do you have those tattoos on you? Because the, the environment that, that I lived in, guys, they had tattoos that said they hated Jesus. I had tattoos that, that, that spoke about salvation and grace and his mercy. And they would say, hey, man, what, why have you got a Bible scripture on you? Let me tell you. And what I learned in that culture was this. I learned not to hide my faith because fear of the fire. Roseburg, Oregon, 2003, we go to play there. And my friend Nate Allen told me, he's a Christian who, had, who did like mostly secular shows, he, and he had one Christian band come in um, under the radar to hopefully try to share the gospel. These kids all hated Jesus, they hated church. Um, and I'll never forget, Nate said, hey man, just be careful, because like this one band mentioned Jesus and everybody left. They went out, they toilet papered the car, they, I mean, wrote bad things on it, shaving cream, I mean, they just, you know, just, it, it, was, it was terrible, so just be real careful. I'm going to tell you guys, I thought, I was like, oh, Man, what do I do? I'm 3,000 miles from home. We got to pay bills. <laughs> like, like I, I, I need these kids to buy some T-shirts, y'all, some CDs, because we, we got to get to the next, ne next stop. And the place was crowded. It was a smaller venue. And I'm going to talk about it was so crowded that literally people were this far from me while I was playing and singing. One of the best shows I ever played. And I'll never forget, I felt the Lord tell me, you need to share your faith. I was like, can I wait till I don't know, man? Look, can I, at the very end, can I do it or something? But before one of the songs, I shared my faith. Um, I asked the Lord to please, Holy Spirit, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing here. And then, literally, it was amazing. These kids were like leaned, like dialed in, looking, staring. Nate said he had never seen anything like it in his life. I didn't hide my faith because of fear of the fire. And no, nothing bad happened. We had conversations about Christ, about those things. The, the greatest compliment I ever had was after a show was people who hated Jesus, hated Christians. This guy comes to me and says this, because we always shared our faith openly. He says, man, I hate blanking Christians. You can fill in the gap there. He was, he was speaking in other tongues there. He said, but you guys are cool, man. There's something about you that's different. I want to encourage you. Don't let fear of the fire, popularity, friends, what people think about you, cause you to hide your faith, because that's the very thing they need. Don't let it, them cause you to, to dilute your faith because they need the saving grace. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the truth about Jesus. Amen? That's what saved me. I had a friend who stood up to me. I told you that last week. Who stood up to me, was willing to lose me as a friend, but he wouldn't let what I thought about him change the way he shared the gospel. And so in this generation we're in, we're just tiptoeing around everything. And, well, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I, mean, I don't know. But, you know just be bold. Be loving, be kind. The most loving thing you can do is not hide your faith. I'm thankful that I had a friend that didn't do that. 
And so here's what you have to understand when it comes to not hiding your faith and letting the world dilute it. There's, there's three things you have to understand. The first one is this. Know that Jesus will deliver you as you defend him. Know that Jesus will deliver you as you defend him, as you stand up for him. Well, I don't really know what to say. Here's the greatest thing you can say to somebody who says, well, I, well what about this in the Bible? What about that? Because some, some of these guys know the Bible better than you do, right? Let's just be honest. They know every time. Say, look, man, I don't know all that. I don't know if, if, if it's the Red Sea, the Reed Sea. I don't know if it was. I have no clue. But here's what I do know. Jesus changed my life. And that's all I can tell you is that the gospel has transformed my life. And I'm telling you, the joy that I have, the peace that I have, the, the love that I have, I'm just telling you, man, I just want to invite you into that. I can't answer every question you have. I'll do my best to try to research, but this is what I do know. When you stand up for him, he will deliver you in those situations. Now, here's what you have to understand about deliverance, though, because we have a, a, a very, very monolithic view of deliverance, like a unilateral one-size-fits-all. One I'll show you two ways that Jesus delivers as you defend him. The first one is this, he delivers from death. And that's what we see in the book of Daniel, right? Next week, you're going to see Daniel in the lion's den. He delivers from death. There's times that God will rescue you. As you stand up for him, as you live for him, it's great when, when God rescues you from a situation and delivers you from death. I've had that many times happen to me. But there's something that we miss, not understanding that. Because most pastors stop there, right? Here's the next way God delivers you. He delivers you through death. When you look at the history of Christianity and you begin to look at Nero's Rome in the, in the first and second century, like, we're going to look at Daniel Lyons in last week, and like, oh, God delivered him from the mouth of the lion. We're like, yeah, and every time God's going to do it for you too, and you'd just be pumped if I said that. But I've also got to tell you about people who their whole families were fed to lions in the first and second century for their faith, and, and they were eaten by lions. Children were eaten by lions. And that was Nero's entertainment. You have to understand this, that when you stand for your faith, it doesn't mean God's going to always have fairy tale endings for you. But can I tell you this? Even death itself doesn't scare you. Because as believers, you know you don't die. You know that you'll, you, you'll, you don't taste, like literally the moment a believer believe, breathes their last, the angels of heaven come to usher them into the glory of God. Amen? Like you never, ever, like you go from one point all the way to the next where you are in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is beautiful. And you have to have the same faith that those Hebrew boys did. They said, look, I know God can deliver us from death, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. I will not dilute my faith. I will not hide my faith because the Lord Jesus Christ has changed my life. And that's what I want you to understand. And I want you to do is you go out into to a world that wants to cancel you. But you know what? They don't understand. They don't understand the very thing they're trying to cancel in your life, the very thing they need. Stand, love others, but love them enough to stand for your faith and not hide your faith. Here's what I do know. It's going to take courage. It's going to take the Holy Spirit helping you. So if you will, I'm going to pray for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now, and we ask for your spirit to fill us with courage, power. As we go out to people who hate the gospel, who hate you, and don't know they need you, Lord, Help us in love. Help us in power to share our faith, God, in you. 
Help us, Lord God, when we're tempted to dilute it, to merge other things in, to be syncretist. Help us to push against that, Lord, and remain faithful to you no matter what it costs us, Father. We thank you, Lord, that through every fire that we're in and we go through, we thank you that you're always standing with us. That you're the the same God that was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God. Lord, thank you that's you that will stand with us in our own personal fires. And we can trust you with that. It's in Christ's name we pray. And as we're praying today, church, in this minute of prayer, one thing we like to do at Thrive every week is give people the chance to accept Christ as their Savior, to actually surrender to Jesus. And so maybe you are someone who walked away from your faith. Maybe you got hurt by church or Christianity. Or maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you come to church and you're doing a favor for a friend or for your spouse, but you've, you've never fully bought in and served the Lord Jesus. Today is your day to give your life to Christ. No matter where, what situation you're in, this is your day. You know it. And so right where you're sitting, whether you're watching online, whether you're in here physically, I want to lead you in a prayer and a confession of faith give your life to Christ and it's this here you say God I need Jesus as my Savior today I surrender to the Lord Jesus I give my life to him for I believe that he died on the cross I believe he rose again on the third day and I believe he is Lord I believe he is the only way to heaven And today, I repent of my sins, I turn, and I receive Christ as my Lord. And now I will live for him. And it's in Jesus' good name, I pray. Amen.